Well, welcome again to this episode of On the Mic with Mike. As you'll see today, we're here inside the CIHR. For those of you who haven't been here, this is sort of the core of everything we do. Uh, normally we do this at a cafe or outside, but today it's a special day. We're going to be interviewing uh, one of the recipients of a Gold Leaf Award, specifically the recipient of the Young Investigator Award. Uh, so it's going to be fascinating to learn about the history of this young woman and how she's managed to move things forward with that. So come on and join me. Uh, we're going to have a bit of a conversation. Well, welcome today. Uh, so today I have joining me for On the Mic with Mike, Dr. Tracy Afifi out of University of Manitoba. Um, and you've had, first off, a great career so far. Thank you. It's going to continue to escalate, that's for sure. But you're actually a recipient today of one of our Gold Leaf Awards, yes. uh, particularly for a young investigator. So thanks for joining us. I yes. think we'll just have a little bit of a conversation. Yeah, and it's been a, a wonderful day so far. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. This is one of our most prestigious awards. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. Yeah, and congratulations you. on yeah, receiving it. Yeah, I'm very honored. Thank you. Yeah. So listen, um, you know, usually we start about talking about kind of history of how you got to work. But I think let's just start with what you're doing now because it's really important work. Yeah. Um, and particularly as we think about you know, what the CIHR does in terms of our mandate of trying to improve the health of Canadians. Yeah. You're getting to a core of a very important problem. Yeah, oh. so it's a very difficult problem yeah. to, to try to, to solve. Um, but my research focuses on child maltreatment. So it includes physical abuse and sexual abuse, emotional maltreatment, exposure to intimate partner violence, and spanking okay. children. And a lot of the earlier work that I did really looked at how those adverse experiences related to poor mental and physical health outcomes. Mm -hmm. And what we learned and what we know now is if you have this type of adversity in childhood, you're going to have reduced mental health and physical health, or you have the more likelihood that you'll have poor problems with your health. So a lot of the work I do now is trying to understand um, how we can intervene. Right. So how we can improve outcomes for individuals who have experienced this adversity, because it also continues across the lifespan. How so? Well, when I first started in this area, so this mm. was 20 years ago right. for me, um, when I was uh, starting my master's, um, the a lot of the dialogue and the conversation at the time was more like, well, adversity happens in childhood, and then you become an adolescent or an adult, and you move on, and, right. and it stays. It's a distal event, and it doesn't have an impact. But what we've learned is that when you have these adverse childhood experiences, it doesn't just stay in childhood. It can continue to have an impact on the person's life right across the lifespan into old age. Okay. It, can, and it can impact their health across the lifespan. It can impact their relationships across the lifespan. And it can impact their ability to um, continue their education or right. to be successful in their jobs. So it really can also have an impact in all areas right. of their life. Well, you know, and, and, some of the, and you've made uh, a point in a lot of your work about, particularly on the issue of spanking, mm -hmm. right? Uh, for that, that there is a continuum that can be initiated by yeah. that. And, you know, I think of a lot of, um, you know, uh, colleagues who have got, you know, kids who are now having kids, yeah. right? And we were all raised in a bit of a different era uh, mm -hmm. for all of this. But this concept that um, we have a, a worldwide uh, agreement with regards to the spanking of children. Yeah. But you've made a point of also recognizing that there are scenarios in which it could happen. Mm -hmm. But what you're really worried about is to try and anticipate how will that evolve, uh, evolve so that it doesn't become, yes, there's a spanking, nothing to justify that, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But then when does it start to become abusive? Yeah. Um, or is it all abusive? Yeah. Well, so 
that's it's a really interesting question. So you'll you'll note that when I explained child maltreatment, I included spanking, in mm -hmm. that. and that in of itself is a controversy. And right, some people okay. would say, no, 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 spanking is it's it's legal in Canada. We're allowed to do it. It's it's discipline, and that's it's not spanking. But what our research has shown is that spanking is actually an adverse childhood experience. It's um, we've used data to show that it's it's similar to experiences of physical abuse and emotional maltreatment. So empirically, it looks the same. Um, and then it's also related to similar outcomes of experiencing abuse. So it might be um, the impacts might be lesser. Mm -hmm. Um, so when you think of the continuum, spanking might be on the lesser severe end uh, compared to other more severe types of, of, chi of child physical abuse, but the impacts are still there. And uh, so what we now have shown with different data is that it's similar right. to okay. the experience of, of um, physical abuse. And so now I include it as one of those, I, I look at it separately because right. it is a different thing than some more um, other types of child maltreatment, but I include it because our data shows that it, it fits in that in that category. Right. And that's what we need to do as a culture is to um, to really prevent child maltreatment from occurring. Mm -hmm. That's one major thing, is to try to help parents understand that spanking their children has risk and it can elevate into more f severe physical abuse. And so we need to do a better job to help Canadians uh, replace their physical discipline with non-physical. So that was going to kind of follow down that pathway a bit yeah. uh, for you. You have two children? Yeah. All right. Um, for that. So how have you brought this into your life then uh, in terms of raising your own children? So we, um, my husband and I, have, yeah. uh, have never spanked our children and we knew that, that that's um, how we would raise our children from way before um, having right. children. Right. Um, so we have you know, being a parent's hard, and mm -hmm. so we have used non-physical means of disciplining our children, and like um, timeouts, or we don't even use timeouts. Really? No, we don't. Um, okay. So we we talk a lot to our kids, okay. and you know, a lot of times we it's you have to sort of navigate the situation as you go along, right. and uh, you don't always have the right answer. But um, there's a lot of dialogue and talking in our in our household, um, and trying to. Um, teach our children um, in consequences. Right. So it's almost like you're shifting the language a little bit. You know, some people say, what's the difference between a consequence and a punishment? Mm -hmm. But the best way and what we try to do, and we, you know, we're not, we're not perfect, but what we try to do is to, if, if we need to, we need to explain to our children what they're doing is problematic because, and then right. it's a learning experience for them. And then if there is a consequence to it, make it a natural consequence. Right. So it has to be something that is re related to, to whatever um, problem we're trying right. to solve. But how do we, so we, you know, so we know the brain of a developing child continues to myelinate and the inhibitory processes yeah. really aren't in place until late yeah. mid-20s or so. Yeah. So there's those early, early formative years when children don't have the ability to inhibit raw emotion or behavioral changes. Yeah. Or, and so imagine yourself as in, you know, a, a single mom, yes. a single parent, mm -hmm. right? Uh, economically in a very difficult yeah. scenario, you come up, and your child's in the midst of uh, going through a temper tantrum. Yeah. How do you handle that? Well, see, that's, that's what we're hoping a lot of our, our research is leading up towards. Um, yeah. So what we're doing right now is we're, we're trying to understand um, protective factors related to 
um, poor outcomes. We're trying to understand um, why some individuals will use physical discipline and some won't. What we're really trying to do is to, to understand that parenting's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. And it's harder for... And you get to do it once. Yeah, you get to yeah. do it once. And even, you know, even if you have lots of supports and, and uh, you know, you've done lots of reading on child development, Parenting is tiring, and mm -hmm. sometimes it's hard to to um, navigate the situations when you're tired. And when, when you have lo less resources, when you have more children, perhaps as you mentioned, you're a single mm -hmm. mother. Um, and also, uh, there's time. There's also situations when when parents are being told, "This is, you know, this is what you should do. You should use, be using right. physical discipline." So they're doing what what they think is right and what they think will help. And so what we're trying to do is really understand how we can replace um, spanking with things that are easy for parents to do. So right. not some complicated um, you know, parenting program that's not feasible. Right. Uh, and so we, we wanted to try to, to replace it with a, a daily parenting regime that's sort of easier um, for, for parents to implement. Um, and also recognize that uh, I don't think parents who spank their kids are bad parents. Right. I think they're actually probably really good parents, and they um, have been told that this is, you know... Or they were brought up in yeah. that milieu, yeah. and right? you know, it was an acceptable practice. Uh, absolutely, right? and, you know, it, it's still quite prevalent. It's uh, decreasing, mm. right. um, but, uh, you know, when, when I was a kid, I mm. think most, most kids got spanked right. if they misbehaved, and we, we didn't know that it was harmful. Right. And so we're, it's sort of, you know, I always equate it to smoking cigarettes is that when people, you know, decades ago would smoke cigarettes and, you know, it, it took a little bit of time to realize, right. wait a second, this isn't maybe good for us. And then it took a little bit of time to do the, the science to mm -hmm. prove that smoking was bad. So that's sort of where we are now. Right, right. Spanking. And so we now know that spanking increases the likelihood of poor outcomes. So now we're at the point where we need to try to figure out, okay, how do we decrease that behavior? And just like smoking, um, when people find out, or when, you know, now or in the past, when smoking is related to harmful outcomes mm -hmm. to your health, that doesn't mean behavior changes. Right, right. And so uh, even the knowledge of something doesn't mean that behavior is going to naturally change. So that's where we are with, okay. with, with spanking right now, is we know that it's harmful, but now we need to help help parents replace um, their physical discipline with non-physical discipline. And I think that will reduce the likelihood that, that it'll escalate into more right. severe types of abuse. So let's explore a, a bit of a different area, right? Um, and it still relates to your research, but you know a lot of what, we're, what we do at the CIHR and a lot of our imperatives uh, go back to the CIHR Act. Mm -hmm. and it talks about changing the health of Canadians. Mm -hmm. um, the kinds of research that you're doing sound very much to be fundamentally at the core of even our educational systems, mm -hmm. right? How do we get into the schools to teach good parenting yeah. early? And how do you use your research, mm -hmm. and specifically the work that you're doing, yeah. to help influence that? Because yeah. that's the holy grail, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, so that uh, to, to us is, is, is on our, sort of our long-term goals. When right. we think mm -hmm. about our, what's your short-term, what's your long-term goals, and, and you write that. So, so we're working towards really understanding that. Um, but right now, um, we look at a lot of uh, the education system. We look mm -hmm. at, at how uh, the education system can have a benefit to the child in terms of resilience and, and would be related to better outcomes. We've done a lot of work in that area. Um, and 
so there's, 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 we can kind of use education in different ways. We can use it as, um, as, as a, almost a protective factor for children who are experiencing adversity. So okay. we've looked at research that shows that if, if, if that child can be engaged with school, mm -hmm. so a child who's experienced adverse experiences, if they have good relationships with a parent, or sorry, with a teacher, mm -hmm. um, if they uh, like being at school, if they feel like they, the teachers like them, right, right. Uh, if, they, if they have a, if, if they value getting good grades, right. Um, so we've all found that those are actually protective factors in better outcomes for kids who've experienced adversity. Right. Um, so we're going to do more work in that area, and once we understand that more, to build interventions that have a role with schools, okay. so that we can build that. Um, but but also what you're mentioning is um, also understanding how we can um, sort of teach kids about interactions right. and relationships and parenting yeah. at an earlier age and right. and that's because we see that right in inner city schools like yeah. it's a major issue yeah. but what are the parenting skills that are being so it's generation after generation yes. building into yeah. all of that um, and so if we're going to make differences on that your your kind of research that you're doing yeah. and the questions yeah. have got to be translated into that that's right so right now what we're trying to do is ask the questions to develop the evidence to build those interventions. Right. So that our inter interventions are not just theoretical. Right. That we have evidence based on our, our work now to show that the, the intervention is, can be theoretical but also based rooted in evidence. Mm -hmm. We'll develop those interventions, which includes um, schools. Right. Um, and and then and then evaluate them. Right. And to see if they're working in certain populations. And if they are um, how can we expand them to to right. bigger settings? Right. Uh, so so that's definitely that's our that's our long term goals okay. that we're working towards. Great. So let's talk a little bit about your career and how you got to this because mm -hmm. this is one of the most important things we're exploring in these right because you know a lot of a lot of a lot of kids a lot of students yeah. you know talk to me and I get letters every now and then uh, from classes where they're saying so how how do we have a career like this how do we mm -hmm. move forward. Um, and so how did that work for you? How did you end up where you are now? Uh, so it, it's interesting. I never um, planned to be in academics. I never right. planned to be a researcher. Um, but um, I actually feel, the, the funny part of it is I actually feel like I ended up here because I never wanted a real job. Okay. And I really yeah. liked being in school. Okay. So I, when I was in high school, I, I, was, I really liked sciences. It was right. the courses that I did the best in. So when I went into university, I thought, well, sciences, I'll do that. Right. So I did an undergrad in zoology and botany, so nothing okay. related right. to what I do now. Uh, and I enjoyed it. And when I finished my bachelor degree, I decided that I wasn't ready to be done school. I wasn't ready for a job. So I, I, went, into, I went to do a master of science but I changed my focus to children. Why? Uh, because I always, um, I, I always wanted to work with kids, and but I, it never, it never occurred to me to be a teacher. Right. And okay. I don't know why, um, but I was, I just love children. Right. I just loved children, and and so that's where my interest and my passion was. Right. So it was more um, mental health and child development at first right. that I was interested in. And then uh, 
when I finished my master's, again, I felt like I wasn't sure if I was right. ready to go get a job. There was a, some jobs that I was interested in, but they weren't available. So I, I thought, well, I'll just take a year off and figure it out. But in that year off, the job that was available was uh, a research assistant okay. in psychiatry at the University of Manitoba. Okay. So I took that job and I was a research assistant for um, Dr. Jatinder Serene, who uh, is one of my closest collaborators now. Okay. And he was sort of on the earlier end of his research career. He's an MD, he's a psychiatrist, and he would, um, he would get excited about a, a, about a, a research idea based in his clinical experience. Right. And he'd come to me and he'd say, you know, uh, I have this really great idea, and he would explain the idea to me, and he would say, do we have data to look at that? Right, right. Because this was the early 2000s, and that's okay. when you had a lot of data that was just available. It's right. not like today where data is more protected. Yeah. You could download the data, these big national samples from the United States and from the Netherlands, and we had access to a lot of secondary right, okay. data. So I'd figure out how to answer his clinical questions in these okay. uh, population databases. And then at the same time, I was uh, taking uh, one or two classes uh, to think, oh, should I do my PhD? Mm -hmm. And it was a combination of that um, and taking those PhD classes and really diving deep into research right. that I said, okay, this is, this is where I'm going to be. Right. And so I, I kept going. Yeah. And I feel like in some senses I never left school right. because I just yeah. kind of went to the other, other yeah. side of the classroom yeah. and stayed there. Yeah. So that leads to an interesting question, right, that um, I do run into not infrequently when I'm talking to students or uh, to graduate trainings where they, they look at clinical research, right, and they say, well, that's, that's the MD's world, mm -hmm. right, uh, or the nursing world or OT or whatever it might be. It's not really the PhD domain. Yeah. And, that, and to be fair, I hear the opposite as well, too, yeah. on the fundamental cellulite. And I'm the first one to look at it and say, no, right, it's, this is without boundaries for it. Yeah. But how have you found that? So you're a PhD, yeah. right, doing very fundamental transformative clinical research. Yeah. How's that working? Well, I, I couldn't do it without collaborating with clinicians. Right. So I work with Dr. Harriet McMillan, who I think you know. I know Harriet, yes. yes, yes. yes. And so yeah. yes. Shout out to Harriet, hello. Yes. Hi, Harriet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Harriet's been a wonderful mentor to me, and okay. she's a clinician. Uh, yeah. So she has, um, she is both a psychiatrist and a pediatrician. Right, okay. And so, um, so, she, so her clinical understanding, expertise, and insight is very valuable to me, and same okay. with Jitinder Serene, who is also okay. a psychiatrist. So I wouldn't be able to do clinically relevant work without, number one, being a clinician or without being mentored or collaborating with clinicians. Right. Okay. Because uh, it works really well, because right. I have a different skill set than they have. Right. So I'm, I'm an epidemiologist. I, 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 I work with the data and I can um, take their clinical questions and 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 turn it into answers with, right. with the data. So that's how my career really started uh, and with this collaboration where where I didn't really need to be a clinician mm -hmm. in order to understand what is the clinical clinically relevant questions. Right. And so um, it's definitely a disadvantage not being the clinician to do w work in that area, but I think if you are 
listening and being collaborative with with clinicians uh, and and working together, you can actually develop a lot of right. a lot of that relevant work. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the pathway that you've taken then, I mean, it's kind of a recurrent theme that I hear, right? Sort of be open to whatever's coming along, yes. right? Yeah. And and go. Would you do anything differently? Um, I I don't think so. Right. I don't know. It's a good question. I've never <laughs> I've never been asked that question, and I've never really <laughs> thought about it. I don't think so. Okay. Um, no. Uh, I think that um, I liked. I, I've been very fortunate that the opportunities were there right. when I was ready for them. Right. Um, and uh, and so I'm really good at listening to other people's advice and to, you know, so with, with Jatinder or Harriet, those are my two greatest mentors. Right. And um, when, I, when I don't know what to do, uh, I'm, I make sure I, I, I ask lots of people and right. I listen. Okay. And I listen to that advice. And, and so far I feel like, you know, I haven't gone down a path that, right. that has been negative or that I yeah. regret. Yeah. And so if you were... You know, as, as it's almost certainly going to occur, a, a young person who's sitting down and asking, um, starting to think about this kind of a career, going, what would your what would your advice be to them? Yeah, well, I th I think my advice is number one. I love research. Right. It's fantastic. I, I'm s I feel so lucky that this gets to be that this is my job. Right. I get to right. do this every day. I love it. Um, but it's it can also be very stressful. Uh, to do it just because you need funding right. to, to do this work and if you you know there's a lot of great researchers and a lot of great ideas and if you if your idea doesn't get funded mm -hmm. then it's difficult um, so that part can be really stressful so so my advice is the first the first thing is you need to be really interested and passionate about what it is you're working on right. because it can be difficult and it can be stressful and I feel like in those times, uh, if you're not really passionate about your work, mm -hmm. it's hard to get through those times. Right, right. So I think that's the first thing is to just make sure that it's just something you're just naturally interested in, and you need to to know more about right. it. Um, and then, at, you know, as as we've already talked about, it's mentorship. Mm -hmm. I think is really important is to find those people that can, that have the experience, who can help you out along the way, and give you advice whether or not you should go this way or this way. Right. Um, because it's hard to know. Right. It's right. hard to know. So there's a question that I ask um, everybody, right? Mm -hmm. And then keep trying to rephrase it in a way so nobody uh, remembers what it is from the last one <laughs> I did. But it's, so if you had the opportunity in your life, mm -hmm. right, just to go back and be anywhere, anytime, talk to anybody, mm -hmm. who would it be? Um, I think it would be uh, Murray Strauss. Really? Yeah. Why? So Murray Strauss, he was a um, professor in New at New Hampshire University, mm -hmm. and he was um, a trailblazer in family violence and spanking and corporal punishment research. Mm -hmm. uh, so he, he, his first, in the 70s, he, um, he really started to, to shed light on the fact that when people experience violence, they're more likely to experience it from someone in the family than right, a stranger. Okay. And then he started to really do a lot of the, the fundamental work in spanking and recognizing that spanking is a traumatic event mm. for, for, 
for children, and this was also decades ago. So this is at a time, uh, he, you know, here's in the United States where 90% or more of parents spanked. Right. There's okay. a lot of criticism again for his work, saying you know that that it's okay and sort of ignoring mm -hmm. the science and the data. So he had to do a lot of work in a controversial area. Right. And um, and you know I think I still face that today. Okay. Um, to to probably not exactly the same and mm -hmm. to a lesser degree, but there's it, when you talk about spanking, there's still resistance around that, and and I feel like uh, he was so innovative for his time. Mm -hmm. He passed away about three years ago, okay. and uh, you know his his he has such a great legacy. Uh, I did I actually did meet him once at a okay. conference. Okay. Um, and people would, you know, everyone just, he's the person that just yeah. everyone loved. Right. He was so right. lovely and had time for everyone. And uh, this was a number of years ago. He would host a conference at New Hampshire University. Mm -hmm. And instead of having the dinner at a restaurant or in the, you know, conference room mm -hmm. at the hotel, he would invite the whole conference back to his house. Wow, did you tell his wife he was doing that? <laughs> buses would come. Buses would, would go from the hotel to his house. Yes. And, you know, uh, lots of those people he would know, but lots of people were like me, yeah. who I was a student at the time, and yeah. I was so, oh, I get to go to yeah. Mary Stars' house. Um, so I introduced myself and I said hi, but like I didn't have the opportunity to right. collaborate with him or to learn from him. And, and when you listen to people who did have that opportunity, you can right. just see this warmth in their eyes. Yeah. And it, I'm sure yeah. those are really lucky people. Wow. Yeah. That's a great note to end on. Tracy, i got to say, yeah, it's been you. a wonderful to chat with you. Yeah, thank and you. congratulations thank again. You so it's much. a tremendous honor. Thanks. I wish you nothing but continued success. Thanks. And we'll be watching you anyways. Oh, thank you. So I appreciate it. You're welcome. Take care. Well, that's it for another episode of On the Mic with Mike. Uh, we'll see you next time.